Welcome to Starkey Soundbites. I'm your host, Dave Fabry, Starkey's Chief Innovation Officer. And today my guest is Michael Scholl, Starkey's Chief Compliance Officer and Executive Vice President of Corporate Relations. Michael joins us today to talk about developments in Washington, D.C. regarding what has become a buzzword in the hearing aid industry, OTC, or over-the-counter hearing aids. He's here to help us make sense of some of the policy changes and what to expect in the months ahead. Michael, uh, glad you're with us today. Well, Dave, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It certainly is a timely topic with everything that's happening in Washington. Yeah, I mean, I've been an audiologist for nearly 40 years this year, and for many of those, I've sort of arm wrestled with patients to get them to uh, use hearing aids. And, and uh, although we know that accessibility and affordability is a major concern, and we welcome that opportunity to provide new pathways for patients or end users, consumers, sure. to get hearing aids, um, uh, we also know that stigma remains a big part of the reason why uh, our biggest competitor is noncompliance. Uh, the other issue is, is I think we said, oh, you know, hearing should really be recognized as an important health concern. And uh, I file that under, you better be careful what you wish for, because since the PCAST uh, hearings that began during President Obama's term, and then continuing into President Trump's, Trump's term, when he signed the OTC legislation into law, and then continuing uh, and recently when uh, President Biden uh, yep. issued that executive order to hasten things along a little bit, I would say that uh, we've achieved that goal because hearing has certainly uh, got the attention in Washington, D.C. Well, when you have the President of the United States starting a speech talking about hearing aids, you know it's certainly a topic for discussion. So to your point, over the last decade, uh, hearing aids continues and has been uh, an issue that's now at the top of the list for policymakers in Washington. No question. And for many years, we've seen slowly, insidiously, uh, hearing loss and hearing aids has crept into uh, television and movies. I mean, A Quiet Place and some of these places that, that have hearing loss or hearing aids or these hybrid sort of cochlear implant devices sure. featuring prominently in the role. I saw on a recent Saturday Night Live, uh, it led with a, uh, with a joke about hearing loss and hearing aids. So it seems as though it's everywhere. And uh, so we're delighted to have you on board to serve as our eyes and ears to what's going on in Washington, D.C. But I think, you know, for those people who don't sure. know you and your background, would you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what brought you here to Starkey? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. As Dave mentioned, I, I wear a couple of hats. One is our chief compliance officer and then our executive vice president of corporate relations. Uh, my background before coming to Starkey is really on the policymaking uh, regulatory front, uh, working with organizations uh, both uh, on the for-profit and nonprofit side uh, in Minnesota, uh, my native state of Ohio in Washington, D.C., working with members of Congress and advocating uh, for different policy uh, changes over the last 20 years. I came uh, to Minnesota. My wife is a native Minnesotan, so here I am in Minnesota. And when I moved here in 2008, I got to know um, the Starkey and the, and the Austin family and the Swalich family, and then came in-house almost five years ago mm -hmm. um, and, and now serve in the roles that I mentioned earlier. And, it, and it's exciting because on the compliance side, that's really the work that, that is done after the sausage is made, so to speak, right? So right. having my hands in policies, you know, related to, to hearing health, but just general compliance policies in healthcare, it's making sure we as a company are adhering to those policies, our own policies that we have. But then on the other side, on the corporate relations side, that is, that's, that's the exciting side, the government relations and interacting with uh, elected officials, not only in Washington, but, you know, in, in each state, uh, as you know, issues come up 
at the state levels that impact our industry. Um, but some other exciting things, you know, some of our uh, some of our partnerships that we have with organizations. Uh, I have an opportunity to lead up our Starkey Cares program, mm-hmm. which is our corporate social responsibility program that we've recently relaunched uh, here this year, and we've got some exciting developments coming early next year. So um, it's exciting, uh, you know, not only on the compliance side, but but the people and, and individuals, the policymakers that you know we get to interact with uh, on a on a seemingly daily basis. And you and you participate in, in some of those meetings, Dave. You're a yeah. you're a great ally to have uh, when we're talking with elected officials. Well, as they say, my expertise is a mile wide and an inch deep, and so I I'm really glad that we have someone like you who can really help us stay, you know, the professionals, hearing care professionals, really see how these policies impact us in our profession. Well, if, if you think about it, I mean, you know, Starkey investing in somebody that does what I do and investing with uh, people in individual states, and we have teams that we work with in Washington, it's really for for the professional, right? Because you know, as, as the largest U.S. hearing aid manufacturer, there's a lot that happens that impacts mm-hmm. us, right? And impacts our customers all across the country. So we need to ensure that they not only have a voice um, in the industry, but they have a voice with policymakers in their home state and in Washington. So I think it's something that we've been able to do over the last uh, four to five years. Uh, that's been a resource. Uh, to to the profession that they might not otherwise have. Yeah, and, and we're going to get to OTC in a minute, but I think, you know, you just raised an issue uh, regarding uh, the impact of legislation and uh, of uncertainty on the discipline, and OTC has been hanging over our heads for a long time, the last several years. I think entering into 2020, uh, we all thought that the worst case scenario was that we would have to address this issue, which was the big unknown at that time. But boy, were we wrong that, uh, you know, and you really were instrumental during the COVID pandemic uh, in the early days when uh, there was a, a lot of uh, legislation yeah. about HIPAA uh, compliance yeah. and telehealth and all of that. And, and all the, and the we executive were on the orders. A few times, you know, with all of those executive orders. Talk a little bit about that. Well, I think Starkey got out ahead of the game and uh, again, bringing resources to our customers. There was so much uncertainty happening in the country, in our industry at that time. Uh, At one point, you know, the number that sticks in my head is that there were 935 executive orders across the country. And the question, you know, was, was how do these impact our industry, right? How do these impact professionals? How do these impact retail uh, you know, shops across the country. People still need to hear. And um, we hosted town halls where we talked about this. We, you know, our team analyzed to the best of our ability how these, you know, these executive orders or these CMS changes to telehealth might impact uh, their business. But I think what I'm most proud of during that time is, you know, working, you know, working with our president and CEO, Brandon Sawalich, and you and, and our chief health officer, we took the lead that hearing is essential. Yes, that was a line that we drew in the sand and became a flashpoint. flashpoint. That that the essential nature of hearing and many state uh, governments tried to say that you know uh, practitioners were non-essential, and uh, and I think throughout the year, I mean, we saw in quarter two of 2020, the industry in as a whole was off about 80, 85 percent. Um, but it came roaring back such that by 2021, and we continue, obviously, 
uh, with uh, COVID uh, during t the year 2021, but our numbers now have shown that hearing in indeed right. is essential on the basis of how many hearing aids are likely to be dispensed this year. And, and look, I think states listened, right? I mean, if you look, if you look at the executive orders and the way states reacted, and they they would close down certain industries and and, and certain groups, but I think only only one state specifically prohibited yeah. you know hearing yeah. uh, professionals to to open a retail or keep their retail locations open during the pandemic. And a lot of that was the work that we did, you know, educating those elected officials on the importance of hearing hearing and the fact that hearing is essential. So um, obviously- Yeah, and, and I'll just interrupt for a minute though, but although you know the eventual result was that everyone did recognize the essential nature, you were the calming force during the early days when there was so much uncertainty, many practices were uncertain how they were gonna continue to put food on the table. And the other thing I'll say is I've heard personally from many uh, of my colleagues who said that how, how helpful it was to have you on guiding them through the process as to how they could get the small business loans. Yeah. Uh, and, and we were, uh, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not meaning to just say, but you were really out in front on that well, and guiding people through that process for how they could keep their doors open, yeah. keep themselves and their patients safe. Well, the, the PPP uh, yeah. program that you're referring to, I mean, you may recall, Dave, we had one of our leadership team meetings early on where we had Senator Marco Rubio, right? Join us yeah. on that on that call as he was the chief author of the PPP program in the Senate at that point, right? And, and getting guidance from him and, and sharing that with our customers. I know many of them took advantage of the PPP program. And to your point, um, they were able to keep their employees uh, working and on payroll during that time. So, you know, a lot of that, I, I think, I think that just shows our commitment, Starkey's commitment to ensuring that, you know, we provide as many resources and as much guidance, not only how it impacts us as a company, right? And all of this stuff does, sure. but how it impacts our customers and making sure they have, you know, up-to-date information on, on things that's happening that impacts well, our yeah, industry. Uh, ultimately, you know, coming straight from Mr. Austin, the company's founder, and continuing through uh, our CEO uh, and President Brandon Swalich, focusing the needs on what will benefit the patient, right. the end user, as well as our partners, uh, will uh, generally uh, win the battle. Uh, and uh, you may, well, you may lose a few skirmishes along the way, but you'll you'll generally win the war by focusing on the end user and the patient, and then as well our partners uh, who uh, serve that valuable role and an important and essential role of identifying, diagnosing, treating uh, their patients with our products. So let's let's move a little bit into sure. that area. And um, you know, the, this in the same way, but not to the same degree. But uh, I think there's been a lot of uh, anxiety over OTC. Uh, when is it going to happen? And now we know it's no longer an, uh, an if, but, uh, but when. And we have a, a better idea on the timeline. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the, the situation and the timeline we're in and, and, and the uncertainty uh, that's being removed, if you will. We're getting more certainty as we move into this next phase with OTC. Yeah, no, for sure. So, so I started in February of 2017. Um, Full time, in you know, uh, on the inside, and and that's right in the heart of the OTC discussion uh, in Washington. So, you know, if we if we fast forward, um, the OTC legislation was eventually signed and passed in August of 2017, or passed and signed by President Trump in 2017. And the window uh, in that legislation was for the FDA. They had four years, right? August of 2020 was their deadline. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier uh, President Biden's executive order. It was not until July 
of 2021 uh, when the president issued an executive order related to hearing and 78 other different issues. Um, and, and that's where I reference on, I think it was July 9th, the president started a press conference talking about how this executive order is going to help people get hearing aids at a lower cost. And mm-hmm. and we knew something was coming. We knew we would see uh, a draft regulation from the FDA, uh, likely within his 180 days, which he outlined in the executive order. So uh, October 18th is when we uh, first saw the draft regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, they had been working on this for, you know, since August of 2017. Um, it's 114 pages, as you know, Dave. Yep, and, every one and of them. Every, yeah. every, every page. <laughs> and so where are we today? So the, the, the regulation came out on October 18th, <laughs> and um, in, it calls for a 180 uh, or it calls for a 90-day public comment period, followed by 180 days uh, for the FDA to act. So that 90-day public comment period puts us somewhere around the January 18th, 2022 timeframe. So um, obviously Starkey, uh, the Hearing Industries Association, uh, our customers, patients, other industry groups, we're all working feverishly to make sure we draft our comments and make sure to make sure that they're submitted by by January 18th. So and we can come back and talk a little bit yeah. about what we're doing related yeah. to that. But from a timeline perspective, so January 18th is when the submissions are due. Mm-hmm. And then that 180 days that I referenced earlier kicks in. The FDA then has 180 days to review all of those comments mm-hmm. and then release their final regulation which will then go in effect uh, 60 days after that regulation is released. So, so we're looking at July, August, somewhere yeah, in that time frame of 2022. Summer of 2022. Um, let's be clear, this is, this is certainly a priority of the president. Mm-hmm. So when we look at that 180-day time frame that the FDA has, now if history repeats itself, they took more time than they were originally allotted, right? Okay. So will they take the entire 180 days we don't know. They could move. So it could be faster could than 180 days. It could be faster days. than okay. that, right? If they decide that it only takes them 60 days to review all of the comments and then release their final regulation, it could be spring of 2022. Okay, so that's but good clarity. Good clarity. On the long end, you know, late summer, uh, it could be as early as spring of 2022. Chances are that July timeframe, I think, is probably going to be the sweet spot. So uh, can you talk a little bit about from the role of the, of the industry? from the professionals and from uh, end users, consumers of this, uh, this category. Certainly, we welcome and embrace the accessibility and affordability and the new competition that will result as a, 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 you know, from this new channel. But what about safety and efficacy? Yeah. Uh, that uh, you know concerns you, and I know you're not speaking uh, in a formal capacity for anyone, but you are a chief right. compliance officer. Sure. And uh, well, you know, if we look back, um, you know, back in 2017 and even before, you know, Starkey was never opposed to expanding access. Right? right? We just wanted to work with Congress. Um, the Trump administration at that, that time to make sure that we did it the correct way. Mm-hmm. And that really led to the consensus paper, uh, which came out in 2018, Dave, which you are, uh, you are part of, played a very big role and you're very familiar with. And that was the document, um, five key points in that consensus mm-hmm. paper that really 
focused on, you know, patient satisfaction, uh, safety, you know, mm-hmm. above all, um, you know, making sure that there were consumer protection elements, mm-hmm. that they were labeling, right, efficacy. There were five major points that we used as a company and the industry used and, and other organizations that hey, supported that. Yeah, you said consensus documents. So in addition to the HIA representing right. the major uh, manufacturers, manufacturers uh, it also included ASHA, the American Speech Language Hearing Association, right. American Academy of Audiology, American Doctors of Audiology, right. and IHS, right. uh, the, the uh, International Hearing Society. Um, uh, were there any? It was, it was uh, and, and, HLAA, and HLAA, I think, supported yes, the yeah. Hearing so, Loss Association. So that document is what we used in 2018, 2019, when we would meet with individuals right. at the FDA. Right, you, you're you're now tasked with drafting this regulation. We encourage you to follow what is laid out in this consensus document. When we would meet with members of Congress or yep. others on the Hill, we would have that document in hand, and we would encourage. If you're weighing in with the in, with the FDA, this is th- th- these five points are how we believe we can go about creating a safe and effective OTC category. Right. And now, if we if we look at at the regulation, um, you know, the, the proponents, uh, Senator Warren, Senator Grassley, others who mm-hmm. who really push this, um, their their focus on. Um, access and affordability. Correct. Um, which obviously we support greater access and, and affordability for, for hearing aids. But we can't forget about safety and satisfaction. We can't have access and affordability if it means compromising with safety and satisfaction. So I'll speak to a couple of the kind of high points in the OTC regulation and feel free to you know, chime in with sure. your expertise. But um, if, if we, you know, from our perspective, we really break it into three categories, right? That, that safety and satisfaction mm-hmm. um, category. Uh, the consensus paper had a recommendation of a maximum output of 110 decibel and a maximum gain of 25. As you know, Dave, in the regulation that has been released, um, you know, you have the ability to have a maximum output of up to 120 dB, and they do not include um, a maximum gain. I think what's, what's even more surprising is if we recall, this category, this product is designed for individuals with perceived mild to moderate hearing loss. Correct. Let's go back, though, for a second to the 110 versus 120. Now, professionals know that that 10 dB difference on a logarithmic scale is a big difference. A layperson might say, oh, 10 10 decibels, what's that? Barely noticeable. Well, two sounds that differ in in their intensity by 10 dB will sound twice as loud. One will sound twice as loud as the other. And we feel place considerably greater risk to the individual if they're listening at 120 decibels over the course of a day than if they're listening to 110 decibels of output. So we'll come back to that, but I just, I wanna frame that within the context of 10 dB, what's, what's the big deal? That's a big deal. And, and, and so our task now is to educate the FDA, educate elected officials who will formally weigh in on this rule to, to, for them to understand the impact of 110 to 120. Dave, we were, you may re- recall, we were recently at a football game, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and you know, inside the, the stadium, 
um, you know, on third down, right? The home team, they always mm-hmm. crank up the, the music and the crowd mm-hmm. goes wild and, and they have decibel readings, yes. readers. And, and recently I saw it as high as 119 decibel yep. indoors. And there were people around me that were commenting, boy, it's loud in here. Were people covering their ears. Covering, covering yeah. their ears, right? And, and my thought, and I told you, well, think about it. This could be an over-the-counter hearing aid. Right. It absolutely could, and 120 decibels, in addition to that that crowd noise uh, during that point in the game, um, is similar to other sounds being in close proximity to jet aircraft and firearms, and it's getting in a level that can not only be um, uh, damaging to the ear, it can be downright painful to some people. But difficult for people to to realize that, to comprehend that, right, right. So, so, so the safety piece obviously is primary. We have to educate. We have to make sure the FDA understands. Um, you know, going to 120 and not having maximum gain could have some real negative impacts and could actually cause more damage to somebody's hearing. So that's so that's a takeaway um, of the of the regulation as written. Um, another area is is preemption. So, uh, what does that mean? Well, right now, um, you know, states really regulate hearing aid sales, licensing. Um, across the country. You know, the FDA has some regulatory authority, but it really uh, relies with states. And, mm-hmm. and you know, as, as you know, there have been 17, 18 state attorneys general who have weighed in over the last year about companies selling over-the-counter hearing aids before that category even exists, right? So that, that just goes to show you of the state's authority in this area. So um, one, of the, one of the provisions in the original OTC bill uh, was a simple paragraph that uh, preempts state law. So this right. new category will now preempt any state laws governing over-the-counter hearing aids. So um, we were expecting for this new over-the-counter hearing aid category that it would be pretty clear that, you know, you, 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 could, you wouldn't have to be licensed, right? You, you wouldn't have to see a professional um, that it would preempt some of those burdens because this is now an over-the-counter hearing aid. Um, our concern with the way the preemption language is written mm-hmm. is there's the potential to preempt state laws that regulate any hearing devices. Right. So it sets, you know, the OTC regulation creates two categories. It creates OTC hearing aids and then a new category of prescription hearing aids where everything else. And then there's PSAPs over here. Don't forget we have to talk what about is, What's a PSAP? So, so the personal sound amplifier, right, is just that it amplifies. It's not designed uh, as a hearing aid. You can't market it as a hearing aid. It's not designed to, to help somebody with hearing loss. It's simply, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, bird watchers sure. and, and folks use them to, to amplify noise. So with the OTC regulation, one of the asks was to uh, finalize a PSAP uh, directive that came down in 2013, which the FDA does uh, in addition to the OTC regulation. But I want to come back to this this preemption piece. Uh, Think about it. If if, if this regulation Mm -hmm. were to preempt state laws governing hearing devices, Mm -hmm. then... um, not only not only professional involvement, uh, but but return policies, warranties, uh, anything that a state currently governs may go away. Goes away. 
Yeah. And, and the FDA is already in, in this would move it w- would move hearing aids from restrictive devices into a category of non-restrictive devices. So the marketing claim enforcement, et cetera, um, who would it would be left to the FTC, right? The FDA and states are losing a lot of authority with this. So this is really concerning mm-hmm. um, because you know we know how important that that you know these these uh, these laws are there for a reason, right? So now if you've got people buying products and that they don't work and there's no mechanism for return or or for refunds, um, that's not only going to hurt that person by not getting the help that they need, but the industry in general, it's going to impact the reputation of the industry. And you know, Dave, uh, what, the last market track, it's 89%. Um, 83%, 83, but 83%, that's higher than cell phones. It's higher right. than a lot of consumer electronics. So when we talk about safety, we talk about satisfaction because people um, that are getting the help that they need, they're satisfied with right. that help. So so that preemption piece and how it impacts states um, you know, will play a, is something that the FDA needs to clarify of yeah. what is preempted for OTC, OTC categories and what is not preempted for traditional hearing aids. And then the, fi- the final piece, I hit upon this a little bit um, that, that I think we certainly will weigh in on is the consumer protection piece, um, making sure that the right labeling requirements are in place, right? Mm-hmm. This, these are designed for somebody who has perceived mild to moderate. Right. You don't have to take a test. Yep. Um, really, the only guidance is looking at the labeling on the outside of the package, right? The, the FDA believes that you can pick up the over-the-counter product and you can say, you know, if this causes more damage or don't, you don't get the help you need, you know, return that doesn't work or find something else. That's the only mechanism for individuals to buy this. You have right. to be above 18, but there's no enforcement. Right. Uh, it, that that will Just you know the it's labeling, not, it, it's the, the labeling, labeling right yeah. it's not it's not behind the, sh- the behind the counter where you have to show your ID to buy right. this so the only really consumer protection is the labeling not only on the outside that's on the inside of the package well if I buy it online Dave yeah how do I how do I read the outside of the package right, right? we've got to be clear that there's some mechanism uh, to ensure that the that the patient is is protected so from our perspective and I know Dave you're doing a lot of work with HIA and obviously internally at Starkey but you know that safety satisfaction this issue of you know preemption and who now mm-hmm. has enforcement authority mm-hmm. um, and then just consumer protection those are three buckets um, that we will certainly be weighing in uh, with the FDA on yeah and I would just add the, the, the that last part that you talked about perceived mild to moderate loss. We were a little surprised that there wasn't more clarity, provided precision, regarding the definition of mild to moderate. And a lot of attention has been focused on the upper end of that, in that maybe those individuals with more significant loss who might need the help of a professional because they have more complex uh, listening challenges provided by their hearing loss. I think an, another part that has been not been given enough attention is on the low end, that, that if someone perceives that they're having difficulty in the four environments that are in the, the bill at the present, the regulatory guidelines, yeah. that maybe they have normal hearing and then go back to that situation where we were in the stadium and it was close to 120 decibels. The implication is, well, if you try these over-the-counter products and they don't work, no harm, no foul, then you can go see a professional and, and get more help if needed. But the issue is, is some damage may already have been done if you're listening at levels that could cause hearing loss. Well, 
Absolutely, right? And then the other piece is if you buy this product and it doesn't work and it doesn't help, are you truly going to then go see a professional, right? Or have you bought a hearing aid right. and it doesn't work? And that goes back to the satisfaction piece that we talked about earlier. But I think it's a major concern. And I and, and I think um, I think the FDA, you know, I, the, I hope they embrace this. But, you know, being that it is perceived mild to moderate and the way this is currently written with output and gain, you know, you're the expert, but you could go out and purchase a product that could absolutely cause more damage to your hearing. Yeah, I mean, I make the analogy, I mean, you can buy over-the-counter Tylenol rather than prescription strength Tylenol, and it is still possible to overdose on over-the-counter Tylenol. Right. Similarly, um, it is possible at these levels, with this output level, for someone un unknowingly to listen at levels that could cause them to overdose on audio right. uh, and provide uh, noise-induced hearing loss that ironically OSHA or NIOSH uh, would protect workers in noisy environments from levels that are going to be possible in these over-the-counter devices. And if someone has just a little bit of hearing loss but they perceive that they're having more difficulty, it makes them especially vulnerable to more damage that occurs. And that's, you know, again, I, I go back to the safety and satisfaction yeah. or safety and efficacy issue. And we get one opportunity, right? The F yep. We get one opportunity to get this right. Professionals won't be involved with these over-the-counter products, so we've got to ensure that all of the guardrails are there to make sure safety and efficacy is is incorporated. Well, thanks for going over those, de those details. And for for additional details on this, I know yeah. that you've uh, led the development of Listen Carefully, sure. an advocacy program. Talk a little bit about what motivated you to want to have this resource available yeah. and how do people find it? So, you know, over the last few years, certainly back in 2017, but then in 18 and 19, as, as you know, developments would occur or issues would pop up at a state level, I often get calls or emails from customers, patients, what does this mean? You know, what what can I do? And, you know, our own our own team internally asking, well, you know, what do I share with our customers? And and it was pretty clear um, to us, Dave, that, you know, I, I hearken back to that president's speech when he talked about mm -hmm. hearing aids that this was going to continue to become a topic. So what tools could we put together um, where folks can go to on a regular basis to get the most up-to-date information. And that's why we decided back in um, August to launch mm -hmm. Listen Carefully, and it's listencarefully.org. And it is designed to be a repository um, for anything and everything that's happening right now in Washington. But as we get into 2022, that's when the state legislatures uh, start to come together and, and they may have legislation that impacts our industry. So right now it's designed uh, to focus on what's happening with over-the-counter hearing aids, Medicare, which we can mm -hmm. talk a little bit yeah, about if we have time today. Yeah. And then, you know, even hearing protection, right? What can what can we do on hearing protection to prevent some of this hearing loss? So listencarefully.org is that repository where whenever something happens in the industry, that's going to be the first place where we update. And, and we've had um, over 6,000 emails go to elected officials mm. on the Medicare topic because mm. that's what we were focused on until this OTC reg came down. And so um, after the holidays, after Thanksgiving, we're going to move, listen carefully, from a Medicare focus um, to an OTC focus from the perspective of you know taking action. Right now, if you go there, you right. take action, it's focused on Medicare. But I just walked through those three buckets of concerns. Yep. There will be um, documents and information on listen carefully after the holidays 
uh, where people can go and they can start submitting letters of the record of their own letters to the FDA as to why you know we should take into account the 110 max output or there should be a max gain. So. Um, we need all of our customers, we need patients with hearing loss to proactively participate in this FDA comment period and the tools and resources that you need to, to submit a letter will be there on listencarefully.org um, uh, to, to, you know, to continue through with that process. Fantastic. So. Well, and we'll stay tuned to keep watching for updates, which are made it, as they happen. As right? they happen, and, and many folks have signed up on the email list. So there's, there's emails that come from Listen Carefully and from Starkey. So when, when uh, it's ready to, to have folks start submitting comments, we'll absolutely alert you. And look, we have what we suggest that you say, or at least include. And, and as patients, you know, individuals with hearing loss or professional, we encourage you to, 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 to include your own comments, right? Yeah. If you've got stories, or if you've had patients that have come in um, and, and they, they've got a, you know, they, they had an experience with an over-the-counter product that didn't work, absolutely, you should include that. But as an industry, um, we need to make sure that we have as many people as possible, you know, submit comments with their own unique experience. Excellent. Well, you mentioned Medicare expansion. We know the OTC legislation has been signed into law. Now these final regulatory guidelines are, are, are unfolding. Um, talk a little bit about Medicare expansion. I know there's a lot more uncertainty with that because it relates to uh, big dollars and, and being included um, really. It's, it's a small component of much larger right. uh, uh, Medicare expansion uh, bills. Uh, but, but talk a little bit about what that means for the hearing industry, for patients again, and for professionals. If potentially. O if OTC wasn't enough, we yeah. have to deal with Medicare at the yeah. same time. We could spend another hour talking about you know, Medicare, but high level um, where we stand. You know, the expansion of Medicare to cover hearing, dental, and vision has been something that um, has been pushed for, for you know, the last decade, right? right. Different members of Congress, yep. um, specifically uh, Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders of Vermont. Um, this is a, a priority for him to accomplish. So, um, you know, everybody's talking about this BBB, this Build Back Better, the, mm -hmm. you know, I call it the reconciliation package because that's what it is. Um, you know, this is a package that Democrats, since they control the United States Senate, and since they control the House of Representatives, they can pass without Republican support. Right. But they have to have every single Democrat in the Senate support that. So there's a reason why over the last couple of weeks or months, really, you've been seeing so much attention focused on Senator Manchin from West Virginia and Senator Sinema from Arizona, mm -hmm. because if they lose either of their votes, then they don't have the 50 votes that they need to pass this. So you, the, the Democrats or the party in charge can pass reconciliation once a year. So they have one opportunity to do this. So um, when, this, when this topic came up, you know, again, August timeframe that there was this consensus of a framework of a reconciliation package. Um, that framework back in August included Medicare expansion for hearing, dental, and vision. And it was clear to us um, that we needed to do everything that, that we could do as an industry mm -hmm. to make sure if this is going to happen, um, it happens in a way that both benefits the end user, the patient, 
but ensures that you know hearing professionals are accounted for as well, right? right. You you mentioned earlier about the the satisfaction with hearing aids being eighty three percent, according to the latest Market Track survey of potential hearing aid users and existing hearing aid users. The other thing that often um, is overlooked is that that satisfaction with the hearing care professional was just as high. So they really, existing hearing aid users, even some of those PSAP users that you mentioned, said that they feel that the role of the professional was as critical as the technology. And I think that's something that the Medicare expansion really needs to ensure, as you said, not only the payment for the devices, but the support for professional services. Well, exactly. And and the the way that the, the, the legislation had been drafted in previous Congress, um, there was a lot of uncertainty around that. So, so as an industry, we made the decision that if this is going to take place, we have to ensure a couple of things. We have to ensure that a hearing aid is a prosthetic device and it's not a cane. It's not durable medical right. equipment. It's something that you can constantly refine and tune yeah. and make better. So it has to be a prosthetic device. Number two, um, uh, individuals have the ability to upgrade, right? I mean, you may, you, Medicare may cover X product and if you want more, you know, a premium and more features, you have to have the ability to upgrade out of pocket like you can today with many third-party and insurance programs. And then finally, um, from an access standpoint, if we want to improve access, we need to make sure that individuals with hearing loss have as many access points as possible. So not only can you see an audiologist, but you have the ability to see a hearing instrument specialist um, to be you know, tested and fit for a hearing aid. So yes. those were three big um, issues that we pushed for. Um, a lot happened over the months, yeah. right? You know, Manchin said this, or Cinema said this, and it was in, it was out. Um, but at the end of the day, the version that passed the House of Representatives recently does include um, Medicare expansion for hearing. And those three pieces that I mentioned are included in that. So, you know, it's encouraging. Um, You know, I think as an industry, we really did a good job of educating elected officials. If you're going to expand Medicare coverage for hearing, then you have to do it this way. And um, that's what they've done thus far. But it's only past the House. Yeah. The Senate is an uncertain the, future. The, the Senate is an uncertain yeah. future. I was on the phone this morning with folks in Washington, um, you know, trying to get what's the latest lay of the land. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the House passed the bill. It goes to the Senate. As you might imagine, people are on recess now. But um, they're going to review all of this, and the Senate will adopt their own version. I think it'll be pretty similar to what the House adopts. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, um, can they get the 50 votes Right. Um, to pass the the broader package, yeah. um, reconciliation package. But we'll continue to work, um, continue to, to do our best as an industry to make sure that the language is as tight as possible. Because with anything dealing with Medicare, Dave, Congress can only go so far. Right. And then it goes to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Right. They really dictate the final uh, regulation and how it's implemented. So, you know, we want to get as much in statute as we can to make it clear, you know, these things have to be part of the process. But then CMS has the ability to to finalize how it will be implemented and how it will impact providers. So I think we made a lot of good progress. But question number one is, will it go into effect? And if it does, then we need to, to spend a lot of time working with CMS to make sure the final regulation is as as we see. Similar similar to OTC, yeah, right? Congress gonna... passed it, but yet it's left up to FDA to write it. Well, this is a similar situation with Medicare coverage for hearing. Yeah, and so stay tuned to uh, listencarefully.org listen for updates as they happen. And I think, you know, 
I'm sure that the industry and hearing care professionals feel uh, the impact of these disruptions. You know, disruptive innovation has become a buzzword, but we feel like, you know, we, our traditional model where it is uh, professional driven uh, in, in the healthcare system, and then on the other end, OTC is creating this non-prescription approach right. that doesn't necessarily involve the role of the professional, and the professionals probably feel like they're being squeezed in the middle by this, but the beneficiary, in my mind, long-term, can potentially be the patients in the sense that if it provides access, affordability, while ensuring safety and satisfaction, that if more than a third of the people in the U.S who have hearing loss, use hearing aids, everyone will, will, right. will win. And I think for professionals and for the industry, it can potentially end up being the best decade ahead if we're raising awareness even further and reducing stigma uh, around hearing loss and the use of hearing aids. And it can, it can be good things. Yeah, but I, I just, you know, again, a plug for Starkey. I mean, it's really important the work that we're doing, right? Yeah. Because if we weren't at the table, in Washington, in these state capitals, who knows what the final regulation for OTC would look like? Who knows what the Medicare regulation would end up looking like, right? So again, because we're active, because we've invested time and resources and energy to working with members, um, I think we may end up, to your point, having the best decade in a long time. Seat at the table may not always be comfortable, but I'd rather have a seat than be in the other room. Absolutely. So uh, with all of this experience um, and your five years, six years at Starkey, um, can you talk a little bit about what advice you might give professionals uh, yeah. based on your experience? What, what pearls of wisdom do you have other than those that you've already dropped here? Well, you know, when I've given talks, um, you know, on this topic before, I, I don't want to, you know, sound repetitive, but I can't, I can't highlight how important this is for folks to be involved at their state level, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, everybody has a member of Congress. Everybody has two United States senators. Mm -hmm. Those people have a lot of influence. And I think Starkey has done a, a good job at setting the groundwork. If you talk to your member of Congress, if you talk to your senator, I bet they know who Starkey is. I bet they know a little bit about the hearing industry that they wouldn't have known five years ago. But we're just one manufacturer. And I, I know it may be for some uncomfortable and out of their comfort zone, mm -hmm. but really reach out and try to build a relationship with, with your elected officials at the federal level and the state level. Having that seat at the table that you just mentioned is so important. And hearing from a manufacturer is one thing, but hearing from professionals who see patients every day and know the trials and tribulations and the stories that these people are going through and how getting the proper hearing help impacts their lives, that's so much more powerful. So, you know, reach out, reach out to me, reach mm -hmm. out to, to our team, and we can help you put, you know, put you in contact with these, with these people. Some of you know I reach out if we have something mm -hmm. in a certain state and proactively say, will you help us with this or help us with that? But being involved, um, that's, that's how we influence uh, the future of our industry and, and the regulatory regime that we may or, or may not seem. It's so, so important. That's great, Michael. And um, you can be reached at Michael underscore Scholl, S-C-H-O-L-L, at Starkey.com. That is correct. So, you know, advocacy starts at home and in your backyard. And uh, so people can, if, they, if they're looking for ways and they're really not certain what to do, uh, uh, I've just given your email there you so go. they can get to you. Okay, so um, we call this uh, podcast Soundbite. So the okay. uh, uh, thing I'd like to do is maybe hit you up on a couple things of what are some of your favorite soundbites. And uh, let's start with one. 
in terms of, uh, you know, I've always said that movies without music um, really would be a very different experience. And whether you're thinking of a movie soundtrack, like something my personal favorite would be Purple Rain. I don't think that's your favorite. But um, what, what, what's your favorite movie soundtrack? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to give you two answers. Okay. One um, is going to be the easy answer. Mm-hmm. Anything that John Williams had a hand in, right? Okay. It, it, to me, is, is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I had a, we had an opportunity. He was, he was touring uh, some years ago where he would travel around the country and conduct the local orchestra and then do all of his movie scores, right? Mm-hmm. And it was an unbelievable experience. Mm-hmm. And now having you know, young kids who are watching the, the Harry Potters and the Star Wars and the Jurassic Parks, right? Mm-hmm. Get an opportunity to relive some of those. Um, the other one, um, you know, Dave, you know I'm kind of a, you know, a music person. Nice I, I, I I think it's hard to beat the soundtrack from Saturday Night Fever. I yeah. think uh, uh, the Bee Gees are probably the most underrated band of all time, even though they're top five in all-time albums sold mm-hmm. uh, and number three and number one hits. Um, that soundtrack just has so many classic hits on it. That well, it's hard it sets to the tone from the moment the movie opens and John Travolta's walking down the street and you just see his legs and walking to the beat right. of the original, uh, you know, the, the the opener song. And so I'd agree with you on both accounts. So. And, it, and it never, it was, it, it did not win an Oscar. The Bee Gees won every award possible. Mm-hmm. And that was the soundtrack that was up for an Oscar. And I don't remember what did win, but it did not, it did not win an Oscar uh, for that soundtrack. But Good trivia. Okay. So now, uh, what about when you think about the power of the spoken voice to communicate? And we talk about uh, Helen Keller's words as vision bringing in the beauty of the outside world and hearing, connecting people to each other. When you think about your favorite Mm. celebrity voice, uh, whether it's in commercials or whether it's in movies or whether it was a character that they played, do you have a favorite celebrity voice of all that? That's, that's, I mean, I think. I think it would. It's pretty hard to beat James Earl Jones. I mean, his voice stands out mm-hmm. um, as, as I think you know, heads and shoulder above others. The other voice, and I'm not going to get the name. You may know Dave. Mm-hmm. That that's more recent. Mm-hmm. Um, is is you speaking of commercials? And he was in the series Billions. Is the Home Depot commercial? Mm. The voice of the gentleman who does uh, the home. You, you would if you, if you heard okay. it, it, it would it would stand. I'll be listening it, it, for it. He's, now. he's in yeah. a couple of a couple of different uh, commercials, but I think generally, I mean, James Earl Jones is hard. Yeah, hard to I beat. mean, you know, Darth Vader. I mean, Darth how Vader. can you beat him yeah, on yeah. that? As yeah. well as all the other voice work that he's done. Okay, last one. Um, what is the quietest place that you've ever been, or that you can ever remember being? The quietest place that you've ever been, natural or otherwise. The quietest place, mm-hmm. certainly not my house. Nope, um, <laughs> mine neither. <laughs> I, I would say probably, um, probably hiking or or in in the in the Tetons, right? In, okay, in, in the you know, yeah, in the mountains, naturally quiet, not, not a lot of or no people around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, occasionally you may hear a a bird or a waterfall, but it's just you know, it's it's extremely quiet. Excellent. I had an opportunity to interview uh, Gordon Hempstead, a guy that does a lot of movie work with okay. audio recordings. And he is in a search for finding 
the quietest centimeter on earth, a centimeter being roughly the diameter yeah. of the microphones he's using. And he'll never reveal because he wants to keep right. them uh, free of noise pollution. But um, I, 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 I got kind of a wink when I suggested that the Boundary Waters canoe area yeah, yeah, in northern yeah. Minnesota is one of those quietest what, places. What is your, I've been there. That's my place. That would be yours, that, the Boundary Waters. Place. Yeah, so yeah. we're not we're yeah, not too dissimilar yeah. there. Yeah, Nature. Right. So. All right. Well, uh, to our listeners, uh, you know, I want to thank uh, Michael uh, on their behalf for uh, what you've done for the industry, uh, for Starkey, uh, and uh, as a colleague, I, I, can, I can really say that I've enjoyed working with you these last five years, and uh, and I look forward to the future as well. We've got a lot in front of us, uh, but with that uncertainty, I think as I mentioned at the start, you are a calming influence. And with your connections and with your experience, just you know, keep me from being. I, I'm a. I come from a long line of overreactors, and I awfulize everything when I first hear about it. Um, but but I really appreciate what you do to bring that stable uh, force and, and a sense of direction as to the uncertain environment that we live in. So thanks for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot happening. I'm, I'm most certain that we'll have opportunities to do more of these down the road um, as things uh, continue to change, not only in Washington, but across our country. So thanks I'll again. I look forward to that. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of Starkey Soundbites. If you'd like to learn more about Listen Carefully, please visit listencarefully.org. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please rate and review Starkey Soundbites on your preferred podcast platform. You can also hit subscribe to be sure you don't miss a single episode. See you next time and thanks for listening.